0: All right, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to two places, Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 11. Keeping it simple for you guys today, we're going to stay in one book, and we're finishing up our series Seek today. Have you guys been enjoying Seek? There we go. Applause and everything. See, usually when you do a series on prayer and fasting, it's like, boo, you know, that's the one time you'll get shouted down in church. But it's been incredible. I've really enjoyed teaching on prayer and fasting, and it's been really cool to see uh, the way that, that people have been encountering God and His goodness. as We've been seeking after Him. We've been encountering His presence. But also, we've been seeing a lot of answered prayers. I've heard uh, reports of people from the prayer groups. They've seen healings that have happened. Uh, there's been restored relationships. Uh, there's been provision for jobs and different things like that. It's already, in the 21 days, we've seen the In fact, I got one response from someone, I love this one, they have uh, a sibling that was just really in bondage to alcoholism, drinking a couple of pints of vodka a day, which you can't do that for long. Uh, Your life will not go well for you. But that's a serious bondage and it's something you can't just quit. And he kept trying but the withdrawal was so bad that it just would give up lost hope forever being able to live a different way but this person was really on their heart so they made that something and seek that was one of their focuses and they shared that with their prayer group and they got together as a seek group and they were praying for him And then after their prayer time was done and everybody left, they got a phone call from their dad saying that their brother decided that he was going to quit drinking. And uh, ever since that day, he hasn't had a drop, doing much better. Like, God is working in his life. Uh, It's awesome to see how, let's all pray for him. And then you get a phone call and decided to quit. So God is moving. He's doing incredible things. And uh, here's something else I know. We've seen God answer a lot of prayers in these 21 days. Uh, But there are a lot of things that weren't answered yet. 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 And so here's the thing that we're going to talk about today, is persistence in our prayers. Because a lot of times uh, what can happen to us is we begin to pray and we're asking God to do these things. We don't see it happen in the time that we think it should happen. So discouragement sets in and we stop praying. And when you stop praying, I I can't always guarantee you that God's going to answer your prayer in the way you want or when you want, but I can guarantee you that he definitely won't answer your prayer if you don't pray. So the one thing that's going to bring about what we need to see, which is prayer, is the one thing that we quit doing when we don't see that prayer answered in the timeline that we want. And I think a lot of times we stop praying because of experiences that we've had that shape the way that we view our own identity and also shape the way that we view God and his nature and character. One of the things that, as a parent, drives me crazier than just about anything else is when my kids will ask me for the same thing a thousand times a day. <laughs> it just wears on my patience. I'm like, oh, please, stop. So Brielle, my daughter, she loves chocolate milk. I mean, what kid doesn't, what adult doesn't love chocolate milk? Let's be honest, we all like it. But she will wake up, it'll be 3 a.m., and she'll start crying. And she'll be like, chocolate milk! I hear it through the monitor in her bedroom, and I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Or... Uh it'll be I'll be up on a ladder changing a light bulb. She's like, chocolate milk. And I'm like, Brielle, I'm doing something right now. As soon as I get off the ladder, I'll get you some chocolate milk. She's like, No! And I'm like, what is wrong with you, child? Goodness sake. And it's just like she just wants chocolate milk all the time. And then she's not nice about asking for it. So what does that do in my heart? I'm like, I'm never gonna give you chocolate milk. You talk like that. But my response to her is shaping her, and it's causing her to view something incorrectly. Because what she begins to think is that, you know, I'm bothering my dad by continuing to ask him for this because I have an imperfect nature. I'll be the first to admit that. My wife and children can attest to that for you if you don't believe me. But I grow tired of her asking me for the same thing over and over. I grow tired of her being impatient about the way that she asks for it. I don't like it when she yells and screams at me. It does something in my heart that ends up changing her heart. And so this is what happens, is she starts thinking, you know, Dad doesn't want me to have this. Dad doesn't have the ability to give me chocolate milk. There's sometimes, like, Brielle, we're out. We don't have any chocolate milk. I cannot give this to you. So she starts thinking, Dad can't always give me chocolate milk. There's times when I want that, and he can't provide that for me. Or there are times where she thinks, like, Dad's mean, and he just doesn't want me to have chocolate milk because he's a mean dad. And, uh, but that's the reality. We've all been in that place as parents, but also we've been in that place as kids. There's been times where you've asked your parents for things and they couldn't provide it for you, or uh, they didn't get it to you in the time that you wanted, or maybe you even thought that they were being mean and pr- withholding this from you even though they had the ability to provide it for you. And my question for you this morning is how has that shaped the way that you view God? How has it been the way that it, that it has shaped the way that you view prayer? Because what happens is we are all culturally conditioned. As children, our parents teach us, stop asking for this over and over and over again. It's rude, it's impolite, don't do that. And so what happens is we begin to treat God like Christmas. We make a list of the things that we want. We ask God for these things. And then Christmas Day comes, we open our gifts, and we see it's like, I asked for a car, I opened it up, and I got socks. And you're like, well, thanks for the socks. What I really wanted was a car. But hey, thanks for the socks. I guess I'm just not going to get the car. And you don't mention it again. Because Christmas has come, and Christmas is gone. And that begins to cause us to withdraw from seeking after God. And it begins to make us think that, you know, if, if I don't get from God what it was that I thought I should get, or if I don't get the thing that I want, if, if I ask for the car and God gave me the pen, I'm just going to thank him for the pen and never ask for the car again because that would be rude. And so a lot of times we pray like this, God, I really need blah, blah, blah. And we don't get it, so we think this must not be God's will or it must be that God's not able to provide this thing for me. So we lose heart and we stop praying. But this isn't the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He told them this in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. He says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Jesus says that we should pray and we should never lose hope. When you're praying and you don't get the answer, he says, don't lose heart, keep praying. When you've been praying for years and you still haven't received the answer that you want, he says, don't lose heart, keep on praying. And when it seems like what you're asking for is completely impossible and there's no way that this is ever going to happen and it's a hopeless situation, he says, don't lose heart, keep praying. Now, Why does God tell us to do that? It's because persistence produces results. See, why did the widow get what it was that she was asking for? It was because she kept beating down this unrighteous judge with her request. It wasn't because he was righteous. It wasn't because he wanted to do the right thing even. It was just because her persistence, all of it says, beat him down he became so tired of her coming to him, that he's like, just to save my own life and my own sanity, I'm going to give her the thing that she's asking for. But here's the thing. God isn't like the judge. He's not like the unrighteous judge. He's the just judge. He's the God who is good. His heart is for you. His heart is for the cause that he put inside of your heart. If persistence will move even an unrighteous and wicked judge, how much more will our persistence move upon the heart of the good God, the just judge, the one who is for us and not against us? But the key part to this teaching isn't the revelation of the idea of persistence in our prayer. The key idea to this whole teaching is at the very end when Jesus says, will God find faith in us? Because the answer to our prayers and the motivation behind our persistence is our faith. See, God answers prayers according to our faith. And you might be thinking, does God really want me to be that forward? Does he really want me to be that bold and to seek after him in that way, like he's talking about a a woman coming daily before a judge and beating him down with her request? Doesn't that seem rude or too forward or even brash? Yeah, it does seem that way, honestly. But Jesus goes on to teach even more than this. It's, it's even worse than you thought the way that he wants you to approach him. In Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10, it says, And then he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut now and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and to the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened." I love how Jesus says, hey, it's not because this person is your friend. Like, your friendship does not mean enough to get someone to come out of their bed at midnight and to give you a loaf of bread. It's just not important enough of a cause. So your friendship isn't even as strong as just the persistence that you have in going after and seeking and knocking and not relenting. That's what's going to cause this friend of yours to come up and to give you what you need. Don't we all need friends like that inside of our lives? But think about this. Uh, Don't make this just a concept. Don't just make this a story that you try to, to intellectualize. Put yourself in this position. If you needed some food in the middle of the night, would you be willing to go to your friend's house and to bang on their door and to wake them up to have them give you some food? I wouldn't do that. Not a chance. It just doesn't seem important enough for me to do that. If your house is on fire, I will knock and wake you up. But if it's for something that I need, I'm going to wait until morning, and even then I might not ask because I have pride and other things that would keep me from doing that. Or think about that if someone came to your door in the middle of the night and they're just banging on your door trying to get you up at three a.m. You know what I'm doing? I'm not opening that door for anything. I'm calling the cops. <laughs> I, I, I am not going to open the door for you if you come to my house at three AM. But do you know who I would open the door for? Or who you would open the door for? Is your children. It doesn't matter what it is that your children need in the middle of the night. Even when it's chocolate milk, I might not give that to Brielle at 3 a.m. because it's not healthy for her, but I'm going to wake up and I'm going to open the door and I'm going to invite her in and comfort her. And this is what Jesus is saying through this parable, is that we need to reshape our own identity, who it is that we know we are, and we need to reshape the way that we view the character of God. Because it's these two things that I think more than anything else keep us from being persistent in prayer. You see, he reveals himself as our father. He reveals himself to us as a good father. He has a heart for you that won't refuse you because you are his son, because you are his daughter. And he actually commands us to ask him. He commands us to seek after him, to knock on the door. He commands us to continue to be persistent in our prayers, to never lose heart, to never give up. And he tells us to keep asking. He tells us to keep seeking. He tells us, I want you to keep knocking. And when we do this, when we keep asking, he says we will receive. When we keep uh, seeking, he says that we will find. When we keep knocking on the door, it will be opened to us. Why Because of God's goodness and because of our persistence. Because of God's character, because of God's nature as a father to us who loves us and delights in giving good things to his children and because of our identity as his children who now have full access to him, who have been invited into his very throne room to bring our petitions and our requests to him. When we grab a hold of God's nature and our identity, we will be those who persist in the place of prayer. But if we don't get a hold of those two things, then we will never persist in prayer. We will lose heart. We will become disappointed. We will give up on asking God, and we give up on asking God. We give up on the destiny, the dream, the plan, the purpose that he's called us to. We give up on seeing him move in our lives, seeing him move in the lives of our family, in our workplace, in our city. And those things are too important for us to give up on. I don't want to get to heaven someday and have the revelation of all of the things that God wanted to do inside of me, what he wanted to do through me and in my family. I don't want to see all of the miracles that I forfeited because I didn't contend and persist in the place of prayer. What God wants to do is worth it. God's nature and our identity make it so that we can continue to boldly approach the throne, to knock on that door. Because when we do these things, God's word says that we will receive the things that he's laid upon our hearts to ask for. So how do we persist in prayer? Persistent prayers are this. Number one, they are full of faith. You see, you don't go and ask someone for something that you don't believe they have the ability to give you. Every time I ask for something, there's a measure of faith inside of me that led me to ask that person. If I don't believe you have the ability to give me that thing, I'm not going to ask you. So first of all, do you have faith in who God is? Do you believe that He's the God who nothing is impossible for? Do you believe that he is the God who's good? That takes a measure of faith inside of you. Do you believe that he's the God who is able? Do you have faith in God's word? that he said that he would answer our prayers. And do you have faith in your identity as a son or as a daughter? Persistent prayers are born out of the place of faith. And then number two, persistent prayers are bold. See, You don't keep asking for something if you're timid, just a little bit longer. You won't keep going. When you ask and say, hey, can I have this? and they just look at you and you don't get an answer, you like, I'm sorry, I'm just going to go on my way. You, you won't keep doing that. But what happens is, like my daughter Brielle, she's bold. Chocolate milk. Chocolate milk, Daddy. Daddy, I need chocolate milk. If she was timid, she wouldn't keep doing that. She would wait. When she sees me up on a ladder changing a light bulb, she wouldn't be like, Daddy, I need chocolate milk. But she has boldness inside of her. And that boldness leads her to persistence. See, what happens is if sometimes you're scared when you ask for something you don't see it, you take that as a rejection. Or you're scared to keep asking for something because you might look foolish in the eyes of other people. But when you're bold, you don't care what you look like. You just have your mind set on the thing that you need from God, and you're going to keep going after no matter how many times it takes, no matter how many setbacks or rejections you might feel like you have, no matter how foolish you look in the eyes of the world around you, that boldness will propel you into persistence inside of prayer. And then they are expectant. Actually, you know, and here's a good example, too. I thought of this boldness. Have you guys ever known someone, there's that unlikely couple where there's always the guy that likes the girl and the girl does not like the guy? How many of them have you found that end up getting married? Why? Because the guy was bold, it led him to be persistent. I see people tapping their spouses <laughs> right now. Not going to say their names, but his initials is Chris Slepsch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great example. I remember my sister-in-law, she's like, Chris likes me. I don't like him at all. Ew, Chris Lepsch. And now they're married. (laughs) Why? Because he was persistent. He didn't care how many times she's like, I flat out don't like you. (laughs) This will never happen. But his persistence made him bold and he kept going and he didn't care what a fool he might have looked like in her eyes or in the eyes of anybody else. We were all counseling, like, move on, bro. It's over. That was my pastoral advice, like, yeah, I don't see this happening. (laughs) But boldness produced that result inside of him. We need to have that boldness in prayer. If that can produce that kind of result in in the heart of Beth, then what kind of result can it produce in the heart of our Father? And then they're expectant. If you don't expect God to answer your prayer, you're going to quit praying. If you don't expect that God's going to answer your prayer, you're going to compromise the vision. You're going to compromise the calling that He's put on you. This is something that I did. This is something I'm not proud of. When we started the church, my prayer was like, and my belief was, we're going to launch with 300 people. By Christmas, we'll be at 500 people because we're going to preach the word and people are going to respond to it. People are getting saved all over the place. It's going to be awesome. And I remember week two when we had 50 people. And I was like, Lord, what what happened? I must be the worst pastor in the world. I must have heard wrong. And what happened was since I had vision for something and vision of where we will be 10 years, 20 years, 100 years down the road after I am long gone, what Radiant Church will be doing, God gave me that vision. I have an expectation for where it is that God's going to take us. But what happened was I didn't see the result that I thought I would see in the time that I thought I would see it in. So I began to compromise the vision that God had given me to match up with what I was seeing in the physical. I began to compromise that vision. I changed the way that I prayed so it would match up to what I thought was humanly possible by my might, my power, and by the result that I was currently seeing. And when you do that, you end up getting exactly what you have you will see the result of your life and your ministry, the results of your prayer will be exactly what it is that you've been praying for. So when you compromise the vision to match something smaller than what it is that God gave you, when you make it fit what you're capable of on your own, what you're going to see is what you're capable of on your own without the power and the hand of God in it. Amen. And God didn't shame me in this, but I remember reading this Bible one day and he spoke to me specifically about that, about how I had compromised my faith and my vision and what God had given me. And I repented of it and I said, Jesus, I'm not capable of doing what it is that you've called me to do. But I know the vision that you've given us and we're going to go after that, and I believe that you are able to make that happen. If you could bring about nations out of a 100-year-old man who didn't have any children, then certainly you can do something inside of me. And Radiant Church will be a church of thousands of people. We will give millions of dollars into missions. We will plant churches. We will write songs. We will bless other churches and other ministries and what we're doing. This will be a place where we continue to see healings and marriages restored, where we continue to see people set free from every sort of bondage and addiction. We will see thousands and tens of thousands of people make decisions to follow Jesus and receive the life that comes from them. But it won't be by our might. It won't be by our power. It won't be dependent upon how good of a leader I am, is going to be dependent upon us seeking after the God who nothing is impossible for, who's put the vision inside of our hearts and being persistent in the place of prayer until we see all of the vision that he's given us come to pass. And you know what? We will never stop praying because we will never see the fullness of that vision in our generation. This is the weakest generation for Radiant Church. And the generation that comes after us will be stronger, and the generation that comes after that will be even stronger yet. We're going to be those who till and plow. We are going to be the the generation, the Moses generation, that set the stage for the Joshua generation that comes after us. And I don't care if it takes another 10 years, another 20 years, another 30 years. It doesn't matter if I'm on my deathbed and I still haven't seen the fullness of what I thought God would do in my lifetime. With my dying breath, I will still believe that God is able and I will still be petitioning Him to do that thing. Because persistent prayers are expectant. Yeah. What is your expectation? I'm going to invite Mike up here. And here's if you want to be persistent in your prayers, here's the three things. That you just, these are just practical things that you have to make a part of your life if you want to continue to be persistent in your prayers. First, you have to have an appointment. You have to have that time where you say, This is the time when every day I meet with God and I pray. Hopefully, the 21 days of prayer and fasting has developed a habit inside of you. Don't quit now, this is just the beginning. So I decide a time and a place every day where you pray and you seek after God. And then number two is have a plan. Don't just go into prayer without a plan. Nothing will happen. I go in there I have my prayer journal, the, the list of the things that I'm praying for, believing God for, the things that I'm interceding for on behalf of other people. I go into my place of prayer with things that I need to petition my king for. I wouldn't set up an appointment with President Obama and not have an agenda or questions to ask him. Just say, hey, I just wanted to hang out. he would not be happy with me. We would never meet again. We go to meet with the king of all kings. Honor him with some request. Honor him with a plan. And then number three, schedule some fasts. And this is hard. Well, hopefully as you guys, for these three weeks, you've made fasting a part of your life. In the early church, one of the reasons that they were so successful in all that they did was because they fasted two days a week. Wednesdays and Fridays, those were the days I said I'm going to disconnect from the world and the desires of the flesh, and I'm going to connect to God. I encourage you, just pick a day, Mondays, Wednesdays, whatever it is, but say this is the day where I'm fasting, I'm disconnecting from the world and the desires around me so that I can be fully connected to God. I'm going to starve the flesh part of me so that I can feed the spirit part of me and see that grow. And if you do these three things, your life will be changed, your family will be changed, this world will be changed. And if you persist in prayer, you will receive what God has put on your heart to ask Him for. Because when we seek, we find. When we knock, that door is open to us. You guys stand with me this morning. We're going to do things just a little bit this morning as we close, but I I want us to take a moment to really... Uh, Just ask God, God, what, what are the things that you're calling me to believe you for? You're calling me to be persistent in prayer for? God, would you speak to me, maybe in a place I've compromised my vision, the vision that you've given me? God, would you show me identity issues that I have, how I've been viewing you wrongly because of experiences with our earthly parents? God, would you confirm to me what your nature is, your goodness? God, would you just speak to us this morning? and we're going to worship, and then we'll do some more praying together. But as we're worshiping, be praying, asking God, seeking after him. So, Father, this morning we come before you, and we're so glad that you're the God who said that when we seek you, we find you. You said that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. God, you told Abraham that you, your presence, is his reward, that you yourself are our inheritance. God, that we can know you. Lord, the veil was torn from top to bottom showing that we now have full access to you. God, I thank you that we are your temple and that your presence resides inside of the temple. So Father, we ask this morning as we seek after you, Lord, that there would be a new fullness of your presence this morning. Jesus, we pray that it would be like when Solomon dedicated the temple to you. And as they were worshiping, your presence fell on the place so thickly that they couldn't even continue to minister to you anymore. They were overwhelmed. They were overcome by your presence. And it was just you ministering to them. Moses said that for all generations, you have been the dwelling place of your people. God, this morning, we come to you. You are our dwelling place. David said, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. The one thing that he sought was to see you in your glory in the place where you dwelt. So Father, this morning, we align our hearts with you. We come seeking after you. We pray that you would move, that you would breathe over us. God, that this morning we would encounter your presence, your anointing over this place. God, speak to every heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.